Thanks, friends, for joining us online at all of our sites. Glad we're together. Glad you're here today. And it's been fun to hear the men respond to a pig roast and hatchet throwing. I had no idea that was such a point of interest. I'm glad you're here today, but can I invite you to come back next week? I'll be here, but with a very special guest, Dr. John Van Epp. Dr. John Van Epp created a relationship model called RAM, a relationship attachment model, and it's been sweeping across the country, and we get him live here next Sunday. He is um, an author and the founder of a great organization called Love Thinks, and he's an author of uh, just a very cool title of a book. The book is called How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk. <laughs> I gave it to my daughter. Encourage you to do the same if you have that scenario. And he's also the author of a book called um, Be Becoming Better Together, Healthy Relationship Goals for Growing Together When Life is Pulling You Apart. He's run, won numerous awards across the country for what he's doing with relationships. He's been featured in Wall Street Journal, Time Magazine. He's been in... Um, uh, o Magazine, Cosmopolitan, Psychology Today. He's appeared on the CBS Early Show, Good Morning America, Focus on the Family. I could go on and gone. It's a privilege to have John to come and be with us. And I met him two years ago at, where I was speaking at a conference and we had, I sat at the same table and I didn't know that it would move into this kind of relationship. I'm so excited for you to meet him. And it's all happening because in October, we're going to begin a new seven-part series on relationships. I think we'd all agree that what's happened in the last year and a half, our ways of connecting have been dismantled. And we've got to find new strength in our relationships, all relationships. So we're doing a relationship series, and we're committed. We've been working on this for a long time. It's going to be for kids, students, adults, for our whole church family. So I said, John, would you be willing to come in person and uh, set the whole series up? And so I'm sandwiching John in between this little series called DNA, talking about baptism today, then communion, John in the middle, and then we launch into this relationship series with the hope that you would begin thinking about whom God would want you to invite to be be part of this because it could save relationships, grow relationships, help relationships of all sorts. But now, let's jump into this series today called DNA. The technical definition of DNA speaks to a molecule that is the code to your genetic information. That's the technical version. But we use the phrase DNA as something that's innate or intrinsic or something that's inbuilt. And so a leader of a company will say that this is our company's DNA. This is who we are. This is what makes us distinctive from other companies. And all of that is good and true. We use it that way in churches as well. Churches have distinctive DNAs. The DNA of every church included um, is the practice of baptism and communion. All churches of all time have included those two practices, but how we define them and what we mean by them and how we practice them is different. So today I want to speak about Westwood's DNA. And I pray that it will be a point of great encouragement for you as well as we step into this with an invitation for you to consider being baptized on October 10th. We're actually going to conclude so you can see what baptism is all about, the end of the service. If you want to be baptized today, you might think, I, I didn't come dressed ready to be baptized. And I go, perfect. We'd love to get you wet today. So <laughs> if the Lord prompts you, you can even do that. And I'll give instruction around that at the end of the service. So here we go. The question I want to start this with is, how many of you were baptized as an infant? Raise your hand. Yeah, good number of you. Baptized as infants. I was baptized as an infant as well. 
How many of you um, were baptized after you had come to faith in Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. And I realize some of you were baptized as infants and then later chose to be baptized. And some of you are thinking to yourself, I've never been baptized and why would I do that? And I hope as a result of this instruction today that some of you will say, I wanna be baptized. When can I be baptized? And I'm praying to that given end, that God will work in your life to the end. Just be available and open to how the Spirit might lead you. Trying to explain baptism is a little bit like a harmonica interpreting Beethoven. And by that, I mean the music is just too majestic for the instrument. And we've come to this place, quite honestly, where we understate the significance of baptism. It's almost become a parenthetical thought to the church an addendum, and yet in God's eyes it was intended to be something magnificent that would communicate to the world who he is and what he's done on our behalf and our willingness to join him in that given journey. Baptism is a little bit like um, a, a beautiful jewel. You know, if you buy a jewel for a loved one and you go to the jewelry store, you notice that if they just take the jewel out, they don't leave it by itself very long because it, it doesn't have, it's nice, but it's not quite as compelling. But what they do is they take out that black velvet cloth and then they take um, a light and shine on it so all of its brilliance just pops so you'll see it. You'll be compelled to take that jewel home. And I think baptism is like that as well. Baptism, if, if you just look at it as an act of obedience, as something that you do and you miss the fact that in the backdrop of obedience is the blackness, the darkness of our sin and that the cross is the light that shines and it just pops with beauty and it communicates our cleansing, our death, our resurrection, the fact that we were once an old way of living and now we have a new way of living because of Christ Jesus. So that's what I wanna do. I wanna tackle this issue of baptism. We're gonna look at seven questions, many of which are asked of us frequently at Westwood, communicate our distinctive DNA. So let's jump into question number one. What does baptism mean? And there are two words that I think sum up baptism very, very well. There is the issue of identity and the issue of devotion. In fact, baptism is a public profession of your identity in Jesus Christ and your devotion to follow him and his ways all the day of your life. In scripture, baptism is that initial step of obedience that says, I'm a Christ follower. And I will be devoted to you, Lord, all the days of my life. We see it in Romans 6, verse 3. Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism unto death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And I want you to notice the strength of those expressions that were baptized into Christ, that were baptized into his death, that were buried with him in baptism. And then we rise up with this new life, the promise of what's before. So what does baptism mean? When we are baptized, we're in essence communicating the very essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ who came, died on a cross, was buried, so we go under the water in baptism communicating our sin nature that we are condemned in our sin, we're under the water, but we don't stay there through Christ whose resurrection power is lifting him up, we're lifted up with him into a whole new way of being. This is a beautiful expression, our identity and devotion in Jesus Christ. And when Jesus died for us, 
Have you ever thought about this? It was public. It was public. So the whole world would know. It was not private. I want to raise that because so is our baptism to be public and not private. Would you feel comfortable mar marrying a person who would uh, say, please don't tell anybody that we're married? Would you be comfortable with that? <laughs> we wouldn't want a marriage that's in private at all. And neither does God want our relationship for, with him to be held in private. And I say this because there have been um, currents of some parts of our culture of faith and church tradition and church history, of which, quite honestly, I was part of, that you keep your faith to yourself. Don't be talking about God and putting that on other people. You keep your faith to yourself. You don't talk about religion. You don't talk about politics. Anybody else grow up with a little bit of that sentiment? Raise your hand so I don't feel alone. Okay, good. Yeah, a lot of you were raised in that same sentiment. Keep it private. But that is so contrary to the way of Jesus, who went to the cross and publicly communicated his love and his death for us. And he invites us to do the very same. It's such a gift to be able to do that. He wants us to make that love known, not just to ourselves, but to the world that's around us, that he is our forgiver and our lover. So baptism is a public profession of our identity and devotion. Question number two, why be baptized? Well, because Jesus commanded us to be baptized. Do I need to say anything else? <laughs> Doesn't that seem like a sufficient statement in and of itself? And I love it when God commands us to do something and Jesus commands us to do something. I love it when he invites us to do something because quite honestly, most of the time, it's contrarian to our natural inclination. He invades our comfort zone right off the bat. He commands us and calls us into something because he realizes that the gravitational pull is away from God because of sin. And he's trying to pull us toward an, an awareness so that the world could see this love of God that gives to us Jesus Christ. And so he invades our comfort zone so that the world can know who he is. And he works through us to make that picture feasible and seen. And he always has a purpose in it to reveal who he is. And so he commands it in Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You can see the logical progression. Go. Share the gospel. Share the name of Jesus with people. Some are going to hear it, inquire, and want to know more. And some will believe. And they will become disciples. And when they become disciples, people who identify and are devoted to Jesus, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is the DNA of God's mission of love for the world that we get to put on display through baptism. And so we have this picture in the New Testament that baptism was no ceremonial uh, custom. It grew through church history to have more of a ceremonial um, significance in our family systems than it did um, embracing the original intent of baptism. It was originally intended to be a statement of courage. I'm a different person that Jesus Christ is in me, I'm identified with him, and I'm going to follow him. And I realize that that's going to create a ripple effect in my life and in my relationships. But this is what I'm called to do. And so this courageous decision is still part of most cultures of the world today, less so in the Western world where we embrace more of a ceremonial expression, but courage has always been that mark of allegiance that I'm with Christ. In fact, in most cultures, you can call yourself a Christian and live at peace with people who have a different faith because of syncretism, different religions that come together. You can embrace a number of different faiths. But when you 
choose to be baptized, you've now set yourself apart in a declaration to say that I will follow the one and only true God through faith in Jesus Christ. And that then changes the trajectory of your life. I came face to face with the reality of what most cultures in our world experience many years ago when I was in India. I didn't invite Carrie to come with me. We were going to some dangerous areas. We were in this little remote village. And there was a community of Christ followers, about 75 people. And we gathered for worship that day. And it was meaningful, about three hours long, by the way. So just say thank you to me every once in a while, okay? <laughs> it's about three hours long. And because you're an honored guest when you come into these cultures, we were sitting in the front facing the congregation, much like I'm looking at you right now. And, uh, and that's pretty good, you know, for an hour it's fine, but for like three hours, it's a lot of staring to me. But anyways, in the middle of it, halfway through, five men came and they stood in the back in the center of the room. They just stood there. They didn't sit down. They just stood in the back and it was a bit intimidating. So finally I said to the interpreter next to me, who are those guys and why are they standing in the back? And he said, well, our church has been sharing the love of Jesus Christ with them. And they put their faith in Jesus Christ and they've walked 16 miles to come and be baptized today. And they're excommunicated from their villages. Their villages want nothing, their families want nothing to do with them because of this choice to be baptized. And after the service, we went to have this baptism um, expression. We had to walk a mile down this dirt road and the crowds of people just gathered on the side staring at us as we're making our way. And we arrived at this pond, and can I tell you, with cattle in it. It's a different kind of hygiene perspective at that time anyways. And um, nearly 20 people would be baptized that day. And it, it rocked me. When the pastor with each person asked three questions and they were questions the one question I had never heard at a baptism before, the first question was, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior of your soul? I believe. Have you received Jesus Christ into your life as your Savior, and do you have a desire that he be the Lord of your life? Yes, I do. The third question I had never heard in a baptism ceremony before, and the, the question was, are you willing to die for Jesus Christ? Because in their world order, the allegiance to Jesus means your life may be at risk. And they said, yes, I'm willing to die for Jesus Christ. It spoke to me powerfully about this devotion to Christ, even to the point of death. And so that question, I, we don't ask, but I think it's inherent in our identity and willingness to be devoted. I came across the international commentary, which describes baptism this way, and I love the words of it. That plunge beneath the running waters was like a death. The moment's pause while they swept overhead was like a burial. The standing erect once more in air and sunlight was a species of resurrection. I just say, remove your shoes. Bend your knee, bow your head. This is a holy event. And it captures the beauty of God's love that would give to us Jesus Christ who would die and be buried and who would rise again so that we would be dead to our sin and we would be alive in Christ. It is a sacred event. It is a holy event. And so why be baptized? Because Jesus asked us to do it. Third question. Do we baptize infants? This question is asked of us 
a lot. And it makes total sense to me because we live in Minnesota. It is the land of 10,000 lakes and 10 million Catholics and Lutherans. And <laughs> you, you get the drift of it. Most of us in this state have grown up in a tradition where infant baptism was the practice. And it's the DNA of many of our churches to practice infant baptism. But it was actually introduced into the church in the third century. It was introduced and recorded, first of all, by a historian by the name of Tertullian. It's the first time we have a record of an infant being baptized. But in all the New Testament, and for the first two centuries of the Christian era, baptism, the baptism of believers, was the norm, not of infants. And that pattern is really clear in the New Testament, that baptism follows belief. That's what's recorded in the scriptures, that infants are not of age to express that faith. And yet, in these churches, I grew up in a Lutheran church, faith is critically important. It is to the Catholic, to the Lutheran, to the covenant, to the other people who practice infant baptism. Faith is essential. So how do you bring the faith to the little one? And so doctrine got introduced that it was through the vicarious, or through the parents, and vicariously through the faith of the parents, it, it passes through to the child. And that was then the introduction to infant baptism and faith in Inclusion, and yet it is uh, introduced in church history. It's not a practice or pattern that you find in the New Testament. Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Which leads to the fourth question, when should a person be baptized? Well, as soon as um, you have experienced a conversion, as soon as you have said, yes, um, I want to identify with Jesus Christ. I want to be a Christ follower, and I will be devoted to the ways of Jesus. That's when it should happen. And throughout time, it's just kind of become an addendum, a parenthetical thought, and we've lost this along the way. But that was the intention, that it would happen almost immediately. Remember, baptism is not a mark of spiritual ma maturity. You, you don't have to arrive at a certain place of spiritual growth. You just have to embrace the essence of what it means to stand up with and for Jesus Christ. If you look in the book of Acts, you can see the very first believers and what they knew about Jesus before they were baptized. It may surprise you. What did they understand at Pentecost in Acts 2.36? Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. This is what they knew that Jesus is Lord. He is the long-awaited Messiah. And then they responded this way in Acts 2.41. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It was a day of fast church growth. That would have been exciting. It had to be electrifying as people were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And people who are watching and they learned the gospel said, I want to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then what was the message to Philip, to the Ethiopian eunuch? Take a look at Acts 8.35. Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture. It was from Isaiah and told him the good news about Jesus. That Jesus is the good news is what he knows. That he is the good news of the Messiah that was promised. And what was his response? Verse 38. And he gave orders to stop the chariot. And then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized them. And then, what about the jailer? What did he understand? Remember, um, Paul and Silas were put in prison. They were beaten because of their proclamation of the gospel. 
And in Acts 16, 31, it says, Paul and Silas replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. What did they know? Belief in Jesus means salvation. And how did they respond? Acts 16, 33, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. I'd love to be there for the 3,000 day. That had to be magnificent. But I would love to have been there in that home when the name of Jesus was elevated and they received and were baptized together as a family. And what did Saul know? I mean, Saul who would become Paul before he was baptized, what did he know? In Acts 22, 13, Ananias stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. I mean, Paul had not yet even shared the gospel with one Gentile. And I go, Paul would be here looking. We're here. Most of us are Gentiles. We're non-Jewish people who received the gospel because of his faithful witness so long ago. But you see the similarities. The message and the response are consistent. A simple faith in Jesus Christ immediately followed by a declaration of faith in baptism, which is a picture of the gospel revealed, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what a gift it is to see this. The question is often raised, well, is that always the case? And and I would say the DNA of Westwood, it is, with the exception of this question that we get often, um, my child received Christ into their life, can they be baptized? So when do we baptize children? We baptize children when they um, get to nine years of age. But I want to say this. Jesus said, let the little children come to me because they come. They're so hungry for a knowledge of the Lord. And so many children will receive Christ when they're four or five or six or seven. But we wait until they're nine to baptize them because we believe that they've developed enough to understand what it means when they say, my identity is in Jesus and I'm willing to follow Jesus. It's the beginning of that journey. I hope that's of help to you. Question number five. What if I was baptized as an infant? What should I do? Well, let me elevate this first and important response. Be grateful for your parents who cared so much that they wanted to offer you into the presence of the Lord to the end that you would know God and you would know Jesus Christ in your life and journey. Adult baptism is not a disrespect of your parents' intention or wishes. I think it's quite honestly simply a fulfillment of their prayers. So be grateful for your parents and gladly embrace the opportunity to be baptized knowing that you have come to that understanding in your life, that you want your life to count in identity and devotion to who he is. You couldn't do that as an infant, and you know that, but you can do that now. I'll be honest, in my own personal journey on this, it was not an easy um, decision to be baptized. I was about 23. It took me about a year to make the decision because the way my brain has worked out, I wanted to do the biblical theological understanding. I wanted to look at church history. How did we ever arrive at this? And at the end of the day, you know what the biggest trigger was? It wasn't what the Bible taught. It wasn't what theology gives to us. It was what my mom and dad felt. It was the emotional response because I didn't want to offend them in any way. And it was odd because my mom and dad 
were baptized as infants, but they had chosen not to live their life for Jesus Christ, to find their identity in him or to be devoted to following him, and that was most of their life journey. So I'm gonna tell you, I made that decision, but there was a lot of resistance, and I, I had to work through it, and I'm so glad I did. And then to see 10 years ago, my mom come to faith, in saving faith in Jesus Christ, is one of the highlights of my life. And to have the privilege to baptize my mother in this room um, is, to this day, I, I think Westwood was born so I could baptize my mother in this room. It's just, you know, for a son to baptize their mom, and I wish you could be part of our conversations on Sunday night when I call her and we speak, we always, always, always speak of the Lord. We always pray together. I didn't have that in my early childhood. And the bond of Jesus with us is so deep and so beautiful. I'm grateful for that. Six, I have been baptized, but not by immersion. What should I do? This may surprise you. Be baptized by immersion. <laughs> Don't have to get much more than that, right? Throughout Christian history, three primary modes of baptism have been practiced, sprinkling, pouring, and immersion. The Greek word to baptize comes from um, the Greek word baptizo, which means to dip or to immerse. And every theologian, Catholic theologian, Lutheran theologian, covenant theologian, etc., would embrace that definition of baptizo, to immerse. So when did it change? Well, historically, it was the Council of Trent in the 16th century that the church moved away from immersion to sprinkling in the ceremonies of baptism. And I personally don't want to split hairs over the mode. I really don't. But our DNA supports full immersion because we believe the intention was for it to be a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, our death, burial, and resurrection in his name. The point is, if you were baptized by sprinkling, pouring, or immersion, but did not have faith, then I would encourage you to be baptized and to be baptized by immersion. Seventh and last question. You hanging in with me? This is it. Last one to bring it home. The seventh question does baptism itself have the power to save people? Some of you grew up in churches where the DNA and the teaching of the church is what theologians call baptismal regeneration. That is salvation. It carries the idea that salvation happens at and by water baptism. And that doctrine was introduced into the church again in the third century by Cyprian. The baptism of infants became actually normative during that time for centuries to follow. It started to grow, at least as the practice, primarily because of one reality. There was a plague that was devastating, sometimes entire villages. And the question got raised in the despair of that given window, that dark chapter of life and history, is what would happen to my child, my baby, if, if they died and had not yet been baptized? And all of a sudden, the teaching and the doctrine began to shift around the emotional response of what was happening. So does baptism itself have the power to say? The answer is absolutely a resounding no. Ephesians 2 makes it so clear we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should ever boast. We would never want to make baptism a work of our own insecurity or question. We know our confidence is in the grace of God. Whether you're baptized or not, the thief on the cross was not baptized. And uh, we know that his, the grace of God would bring salvation to that thief on the cross. So the promise is in God. That's where the promise is. It's God's grace that saves, not not baptism. 
So baptism has no redemptive power of its own. There is nothing holy about the water or the river or the pond or the baptistry. Nothing. It's still, by the way, the doctrinal DNA practiced by many churches today. And, you know, um, I understand the intent, but the, the shadow side of it is it can give a false belief for some that because they were baptized as infants that they're taken care of for what's ahead, for heaven. And my father was one of those guys. My father was not a follower of Christ or devoted. He was a great guy. Love him so much. And I'm so glad in the last year of his life, he got clarity around that. But he thought, I was baptized as an infant, and it was sufficient, whether he followed Christ or not. And yet, we must embrace grace through faith. Establish our identity. Be devoted to him. Otherwise, why would Jesus need to die on the cross? We would just do baptisms in his name. He didn't need to die if that was the case. So, all right. Just a couple thoughts. What holds people back? I mean, what are the reasons? They're far more than what I'm going to be able to cover, but I'm going to give you two of them. One is I just never understood baptism. I just didn't think about it. It's not something I ever felt like I needed to do or even wanted to do. And so perhaps you've never received instruction to be baptized. Um, do you feel today you have received instruction from God's word around what baptism means? I'm so glad you said yes because I would have started this message all over again. <laughs> because it's too important in the economy of God's view and his love given to the world. So maybe you've never been invited. So on this day, I want you to hear the invitation from Jesus and his word through me to you. If you believe, be baptized. And consider what Jesus commanded. Take that next step to grow your faith. And for some... It's not entering another Bible study or small group. It's to be baptized. It's to declare that faith and watch the acceleration of growth that comes with that expression. Second reason I think often people don't uh, follow through is they, they, they say to themselves, I don't want to. I, just, I don't want to. And it kind of makes sense because Jesus, he, he seems to do things that make us really uncomfortable. And the idea of getting wet in front of a lot of people, makes us uncomfortable. And yet, when we take a step back, the argument is something we really need to think about it. This Jesus who has come to us in this amazing love, he endures being spit upon and beaten, crucified on a cross. He dies, he rises again, and he extends this incredible offer of salvation that's free in the grace of God, but our response of faith is what receives it and welcomes it, and our declaration of baptism is what communicates our, our receiving, that we have received and our identity is in Christ and our devotion is to follow him all of our days. The logic doesn't add up. I don't want to. It doesn't add up. No, the heart of the saved person is availability. To be what Christ wants us to be, to go where Christ wants us to go, to do what Christ wants us to do. The highest motive of doing anything is because God asks us to do it. So let me just share one final thought. I told you I was 23 when I was baptized. It took a year. I did all my study. We still have, I have the original paper. We've made it available to some here through our, our membership experience, but and I've never edited the words. They just are what they are from when I was 23. But I think about that wrestling match now that I had in my own head about whether I should be baptized or not, and I was pulled back and forth. And today I look at it and I go, why did I take a whole year? Why did it take me so long? And when I came to the end of the year, I really landed it with these kinds of questions. 
Have I received Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord of my life? Yeah, I have. Do I sincerely want to be a devoted follower to Jesus Christ all of my days, according to his ways, not my own? Yeah, I really do. Did I make that decision as an infant? No, I didn't. Am I rejecting my parents' decision to baptize me as an infant? No, I think I'm fulfilling the intention that they wanted me to know God, that I am one who then said, yes, I believe and I will follow Jesus Christ. And I invite you to do the same. If you believe and have not yet been baptized, I say, be baptized. And some of you may wonder, well, what does it look like? So um, I'm gonna invite the worship team here and at Bush Lake to make their way to the front right now. And we're gonna actually witness a baptism, a life transformed by faith in Jesus Christ, of those who say, yes, I've identified, and yes, I will be devoted. And we're just gonna have an opportunity to take one sincere one with the invitation that you would, on October 10th, we're gonna have in all of our sites, in all of our services, the opportunity to be baptized. And we're just gonna magnify that beautiful expression in our church. And if you'd like to be baptized, you can be baptized by filling out that engagement card and giving it to the ushers when you leave or going to our website if you're online and indicate by just putting the word baptism and we'll follow up with you for October 10th but you may want to even consider being baptized today. And uh, you can do that if you want to drive to Chanhassen or if you want to make yourself available after the service, just go to the info spot. We'd be glad to come alongside of you. But this is it. We get to celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ in this way. So I'm going to invite you to stand and let's celebrate the name of Jesus received by these individuals and proclaimed by their testimony, two of whom made the decision in the last service to be baptized in this hour. <laughs> so we celebrate that today.